0: Hey, this is Larry Rollins, pastor of The Well Church, and thank you so much for listening to The Well Church's podcast. My hope is that this message aids you to be restored by the gospel. If you'd like to support the work that our church is doing, please visit our website, thewellmonroe.com, and click Give. Your gift, regardless of how large or small, helps us bring restoration by the gospel to broken people. So, enjoy this episode, and don't forget to subscribe beginning a series. So if um, you just joined us for the first day, you've caught us at the very beginning of a series as we are walking through the DNA of the Well Church. Uh, Who are we? What are we about? What do we believe? What is important to us? And that is what we're working through for the next, I believe, six to seven weeks, all right? Uh, And so these are our aims of our church. Our aims, how we believe that every individual lives in restoration is to encounter Christ exist in family, and engage the broken. And if you are failing to do any of these three, you are not living out the entirety of your faith. So if you're only encountering Christ, you go to church on Sundays, you read your Bible, you pray and you spend time with the Lord, but you're not engaging broken people, which means to make disciples in broken places, on mission, if you're not existing in a family connected to a body of believers, then you you have gaps in your relationship with God. Because God doesn't just call us to a relationship with him, he calls us a relationship with his family, right? And so we don't want to just encounter Christ, we want to exist in family and engage the broken. So, but for the next, this week and next week, we're going to focus on what it means to encounter Christ. Uh, We say that encountering Christ changes our identity and shapes how we think and live. And and we're going to kind of unearth that in our passage today. So turn with me to... 2 Corinthians 5.17, and that information should be on the screen. Also, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today, you're welcome to use the one under your seat. And if you don't own a Bible that you can understand, then you can consider that as a gift from us to you. That is yours to have. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and again, if you're using that Bible, you can find the uh, page number on the slide. Is page 629. The book of Corinthians was writ- written to the church in Corinth uh, which is uh, in the country of Greece and uh, Paul is defending his apostolic authority. Uh, many people have spoken ill about Paul saying that he, he's not really an apostle. He doesn't have the authority so he's uh, defending his apostleship and we kind of catch him in the middle of that argument as he's speaking about himself, but there are some things that we can learn as well. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 16. We're going to start at 16. And it reads as so. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we welcome you into this experience. Lord, we pray as we've sung to you this morning, as we've spoken to you intimately, Lord. We pray now that you'll speak to us. Lord, that you will encourage our hearts, that you will transform our minds and our our thoughts and our actions, Lord. Lord, that we will come into a deeper intimacy with you this morning. That we will understand what it means to have our identity shaped, transformed, and conformed to your image. So, Lord, I pray that as I proclaim the good news that you be glorified, that you be lifted high. Well, you are the main focus of this message today. It's not about those in the room. It's not about uh, how well the message is communicated. It is about you, Lord. And so we fix our eyes on you today, Jesus. And so as I decrease, I pray, God, that your spirit will increase in me, that all of you will be seen and none of me. I pray your word will draw someone near to you today. That if there's a person in the room who is, who's not sure about where they stand with you today, that that will be a, a, a situated and clarified, Lord. That they will come to a saving relationship with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our world is going through an identity crisis. People on every spectrum are not certain about who they are. And we see that. We see that um, in in our world where there's this confusion with gender identity. And people uh, uh, don't identify with the gender that they had at birth, but instead uh, they, they want to choose their gender. That's an identity crisis. We've even suffered an identity crisis in the African-American community where our our, our identity through the transatlantic slave trade was stripped away from us in slavery. And so now many have forsaken the Christian faith for the sake of being woke. And nine times out of ten, every single one of those circumstances is because of their searching for identity. Even those who subscribe to the nation of Islam, which is a a faith rooted not in the God, but more so in their identity as black people. We have an identity crisis. Many of us, even ourselves, have, have thought through and struggled with, who am I? I hope to give some clarity through our message today, and I believe Paul addresses this issue, that what we'll discover is that our new identity as ambassadors of Christ is to promote reconciliation. And so not only do we have a new identity, but then we have a function that comes with that identity. And so Paul, as he's defending his apostolic authority, here's what he makes clear. In the passage, he, he unpacks that, that though he used to think one way, he doesn't think like that anymore. He said, he said, even though we may have viewed Jesus from a worldly perspective, that is not the case anymore. Here's what Paul is saying, and we need to understand a little bit more about who he is and his character. Paul is what is described as a Pharisee. A Pharisee were the uh, religious elite in the time of Jesus, and these individuals uh, were known for uh, being strict keepers of the law. They were very pious. They were, uh, 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 they were only ones that were following and keeping all of the rules. But what Jesus would oftentimes describe Pharisees as, as individuals who were outwardly clean, but not inwardly clean. That they honored God with their lips, but their heart was far from him. So, But Paul was a religious fanatic, a keeper of the law, and he was so fanatic about what he believed that he would persecute Christians in his zealousness for the law. Here's what's funny about Paul. Paul thought that he was serving God because he was persecuting Christians. He He thought that he was righteous because of his actions and his understanding of Jesus was rooted in the fact that Jesus was a zealot that was uh, a tarnishing the truth of who Yahweh was. God. He believed that Jesus was actually anti-Judaism, which in some senses he kind of was. And so Jesus, from Paul's perspective, was an enemy to what he believed. And so he persecuted Christians. He supported the stoning of Christians. He even got permission to march to Christian houses, drag them out of their homes, and throw them into prison. Paul saw this faith as an enemy to what he believed. But then on the road to Damascus, he's on his horse, gets knocked off the horse. Jesus comes and has a transformational encounter with Paul, and he moves from being an enemy of the gospel to a preacher of the gospel. And so what Paul is saying is, is that because his identity in Christ is new, the way he sees Jesus is different now. And not only how he sees Jesus, but his entire worldview has changed. His worldview has changed. He, he He sees Jesus differently, but he also sees people differently. See, at one time, Paul saw people as individuals who were so sorry, who were so disgusting, that they could not measure up to God's standards. That they should be keeping the law, but yet they aren't. And now he sees them as individuals who need shepherds, who need someone to love on them and give them the truth of the gospel. How profound is this for us as believers? That if we would truly encounter Christ, that it would change our worldview. It would change how we see the world. It would change how we interact with other people. And we need that, brothers and sisters. We need our, our identity shaped in such a way that our worldview is changed. We need that. And so that means that, that uh, as though some of us may, may not have positive feelings about our president, your vantage point of him changes when you're a Christian. That he's not just 45 but he is a man that needs prayer because he's leading our nation. Our worldview changes so much so that there are certain people in different classes of life that we would disagree with. Specifically, people on the different end of political spectrums. Our worldview changes about them that we don't merely just lump them into a category of liberal or conservative, Democrat or Republican, pro-choice or pro-life, we don't lump them in a category. Instead, we see them as an individual who is in need of Jesus or our brother and sister in Christ. They regardless of what end of the spectrum they're on, they still belong to Jesus. And we gotta, man, that, that would change how you treat people when you see that God loves them more than you. Paul's worldview has changed. And then he starts to dig into this this identity situation. And as he digs into the identity, he says, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Paul is explaining that, that who he used to be was the old him. But now that he is in Christ, there's a new Paul. There's a a new person. He's a new creature. And so so who he was has been completely transformed and changed. But here's what's important for us to note: is that there's actually a conditional clause here. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ. So this, this changing of your identity is contingent upon. You being in Christ. Here's our first point. Our identity has changed through a connection with Christ. Paul is saying that that if we are to have a new identity, we have to be in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that Christ is the ruling authority in your life. It means that Christ calls the shots. It means that you govern your life according to Christ's desires and his commandments, and his life, and not your own. To be connected, to be in Christ, means that you are in fellowship with him. It means you're in relationship with him. It means that Jesus is not that friend you call every so often. Jesus is that that one that you talk on the phone every day, and you would think that y'all wouldn't have nothing to talk about today, but y'all talk so regularly that you can still talk for hours. Right? To, to be in, 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 in Christ is to be connected to Jesus in a way that y'all are in fellowship with one another. That he's not this distant God in the heavens looking upon the earth waiting for you to mess up but he is a present reality in our lives that he is walking with us through our life. And we to be in a relationship with him. What's cool about this when we're in Christ, then we have a new identity. Then we are made brand new. Let me, let me help you out. Um, this past week, I spent some time in New Orleans, uh, spent the entire week in New Orleans. I was driving back to Monroe and stopped in Gonzales uh, for a wedding. Friends, wedding, shout out to Donna McNeil and Brianna Riggins. They got uh, married. Well, that's not her last name anymore. Brianna McNeil, Right. And uh, so excited for them, and which meant that my route had to change to get back to Monroe. I had to go through the same route that I would take to see Alicia when we were dating. Some of you have heard the story about when I was driving uh, uh, through Natchez on my way to Baton Rouge, my car broke down. And the reason why my car broke down was because that my my uh my the the um the vent thing got disconnected. The hose got disconnected from the radiator. There we go. And when it got disconnected from the radiator, the, the motor ran hot. So much so that it fried my entire motor. So I was stranded. My dad eventually came to the rescue, finally got to Monroe, had a good friend, uh, Donald Carnan. He's a, a pastor in, uh, in Simsboro. And he, he, him and his truck and his trailer drove me all the way to Natchez to, get the, truck to I mean, get the car to bring it back, took it to the mechanic. They said the engine is completely fried and I had to get a new motor. Now, I was in the process of preparing for a wedding. I didn't have the money. In fact, I had just enough to pay the second half to get the motor because I needed a new motor. And so finally a day comes where I'm going to get the new motor and uh, where they put the new motor in and I'm going to pick up the car. And I walk into the the place, uh, the mechanic shop, and the lady hands me my keys and then hands me the invoice and the invoice says paid in full. In order for me to pay for this, I would have only had 50 cents left in my account, checking and savings, put together. Here's here's the thing. You are that Mitsubishi Galant 05, that you are an old car and your engine was fried. You needed a new motor, a new life source, and God transplanted that new life source, that new motor in you. And even though you look like that same old beat up car, there was something new on the inside of you. And the best part is that it was paid in full. You didn't have to pay a dime to make it happen. We have been made brand new in Christ, we have a new identity. So, what are the implications of this new identity? This new identity, is, is, it means that we have to begin to cultivate this new identity. We have a responsibility that if we want to continue to be transformed by Jesus, conformed to his image, uh, uh, with our identity being changed and our worldview being changed, how we think and live, then we have to cultivate this new identity. And Sundays are a good step to do that. You being present here on Sunday mornings, Learning about the, the word, growing in the gospel, excuse me, you, you lifting your hands and you're worshiping, and engaging in the music. The, the lyrics are intentional so that it will draw you into a deeper understanding of Jesus, so that even when you're singing, you're also learning about God. All that is very intentional, and all of that is to your benefit to continue to shape your identity. But we can't stop at Sunday morning. My encouragement to you, that though we hadn't gotten to existing in family, but during our, our, our Tuesday gatherings, we call it the missional family where we share a meal together, that is a space designed to help you continue to shape your identity in Christ. Because what happens in that time is that we sit and we dig deeper into the word that was preached on Sunday. We dig deeper in it where you actually get to talk it through with other believers, which is helpful for you. I don't know about you, but I tend to learn better when I can hash some things out, when I can ask some, ask some questions, when I can hear the vantage points of other believers that tends to help me more when I grow in Christ, when I'm growing in the gospel. So Tuesdays is, is critical for you to grow in your faith. But then you just can't simply take the preacher at his word. You have to read the text for yourself. So you, you have to spend time in God's Word, learning and growing from Him, and remembering that He's the main attraction in the Word. So you're reading about Him. You're reading the Bible to learn ultimately about Him. And that will continue to shape and transform your identity. And there are other resources, right? When you get in the phone, you hook your phone up to the Bluetooth. Go ahead and play the Bible. Read it. Let it speak over you as you're riding in the car. These things help shape and transform your identity to cultivate that identity. And you need to think about it in three categories. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. How are you cultivating your relationship with God using your time? How are you cultivating your relationship with God using your talents? How are you cultivating your relationship with God with your treasures? Those things can help shape your identity, that it would be a Christ gospel centered identity and not an ethnocentric identity, not a geopolitical centered identity, but instead a gospel centered identity. So you need to be strategizing and thinking, how can I start stewarding my time to bring me into a deeper relationship with Jesus? Next, we look at God's work in changing our identity. This, this is the part right here where it really gets me excited. Let's take a look at verse 18. If you look at it in your Bibles, it says, Everything is from God. What is from God? Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has cons- committed the message of reconciliation to us. Here's our next point. God changes our identity by fixing our broken relationship with him. Ooh, my, mm. God changes our identity by fixing our broken relationship with him. There's a word that Paul uses in the passage five times in three verses. Let me give you a quick Bible study mechanic real, uh, real quick. Anytime you see a word repeated frequently in a passage, not a verse, in a passage, because you need to read the passage, not just one verse, because you need to understand it in context, right? That's how we, we get misinformed individuals about the word, and people get to sharing, and you're like, ah, that, that ain't it, player. Because they're not reading the Bible in context. And so when you read it in context and you see a word being repeated over and over again, it's important. And so Paul repeats the word reconciled or reconciliation five times. One, one is a noun and one is a verb. Reconciled, the verb, reconciliation, a noun. And so the Greek word is or or the noun is katalage. And so either way, both of these words are used five times in the passage. And Paul's trying to communicate something to us, that reconciliation is important. Here's what reconciliation is. It is the action of reestablishing friendship between two persons who are on bad terms to replace hostility with peaceful relations. Let's kind of work through this a little bit. What Paul says, first off, is that we have been reconciled to God. Right? God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Let's deal with that. So what does this mean? This means that we were not in positive relationship with God. We had a hostile relationship with God. Our relationship with God... Technically, it was as though as we were enemies. Here's Romans 5.10. It's on the screen for you. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Here's what this verse is implying, that you and God were enemies. And I don't know about y'all, but I'd rather have beef with anybody but God. You're telling me that mankind, each and every one of us in this room, had beef with God? God is an all-powerful being. He is omnipotent. There is nothing too difficult for God, which means kicking your behind if he needs to. Even Jesus says, don't fear the one who can take away your body. Fear the one who can take away your soul. God has the ability to destroy your soul. And so here it is, this holy omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing God, who is righteous in every way, morality is defined by his character, is offended by our actions, our actions to choose to be God in our own lives. Many of us will say, I've never put myself before God, Well, any time that you've made decisions apart from him, you've declared that you were God in your own life. Autonomy of our own lives says that we're God. And so we find ourselves telling God that he is not the God of our lives. He is not the supreme ruler. Instead, we are. And that is a direct offense to him. And so here it is. This holy God is offended by us, mortal man. And the offended party, God, chooses to reconcile us back to him. He chooses to bring us back into relationship with him. The hostility that we've had with him, he's now turned it into peace. But he didn't do this, has heavily; it. He did this by using Jesus Christ as an offering for us. He did this, as the word says, through Christ. So Christ is the means that God used to reconcile us back to him. It was through Christ's death. It was through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. But here's the part that gets difficult for us. Many of us love the idea uh, that God has reconciled us back to himself. The part that we wrestle with is that he's now commissioned us with the ministry of reconciliation. He's now given us the message of reconciliation, which means that we have the responsibility to live our reconciliation in our horizontal lives. It means that we have the responsibility to pursue reconciliation with those who have offended us. Now I want you to think about a person in your mind that you, you, you don't like, that you are not in good relationship with because of whatever offense that may have happened in your life. And when you, when you think about that individual that has offended you Your responsibility is to pursue them for reconciliation. Here's the thing. Why? Because God is the offended party, but yet he pursues us. Think about that. God has done no wrong, but yet he's the one who initiates the reconciliation. And so even though there have been individuals who have offended us, we still have that responsibility to initiate that reconciliation. And many of us have adopted these these cliches for forgiveness. You know, I forgive you, but I I won't forget. I forgive you, but I got to love you from a distance. We've developed all of these parameters that we put on forgiveness. It always got to be forgive, but. And here's, here's what's interesting. God never gives us an example like that for forgiveness. That is not God's example of forgiveness at all. And if God forgave us the same way that we forgive people, we would be screwed. (laughs) We would have no hope if God said, I forgive you, but I'm going to love you from a distance. I need God's love present in my life every day. And when we adopt that mentality, our willingness... To not forgive like Jesus stunts our growth and cheapens the gospel. When you choose to to forgive on your terms and not on God's terms, you are cheapening the message of the gospel. And you're stunting your own growth. That you cannot be who all that God desires you to be because you've hindered your growth by not forgiving like Jesus. And here's what the Bible tells us that God does when he forgives us. He casts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. Now, God is not capable of forgetting anything, but the metaphor is, is that he does not hold a record of your wrong. And the idea of reconciliation is to pursue relationship, which means that we're pursuing to be in relationship with that individual who has offended us. That even though they're the problem, we're the ones coming with a solution to mend the relationship. That's what God does. Now I'm so proud of my brother. Carl had an issue with a friend, and Carl's friend had had stolen a particular item from him. And so Carl calls me, and he's like, "Mr. Larise, such and such as did this," and you know, I'm I'm not really sure where to go about it. And so he he kind of walks me through the story, very confident that that friend uh, has betrayed his trust in that way. And my response was, I said, Carl, you you know what you got to do. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother has sinned against you, go to him in private, tell him his fault. If he does not receive you, then you go and you grab a couple others and y'all sit down with him. Carl said, well, I did this first step. I said, well, now you got to do step step two. Carl's like, man, I was hoping you weren't going to say that. (laughs) And so Carl proceeds to go through step two. And when he goes through step two, the friend is still denying that he has betrayed that friendship. But Carl continues to pursue the relationship. And by God's grace, that friend admitted his wrong, returned that item, and those two are still friends today. Many of us, our cutoff game would have been strong. <laughs> but, but again, back to that identity, back to our worldview changing, our view on relationships are different now. That relationship is more important than us being right. And we will throw away a relationship for the sake of being right. And relationships are too important for that. Important now, you might be saying you might be thinking about a particular individual, and you're saying, Larry's, that is too much for me. That I I don't, you know, you know how people say, you know, I love the Lord, but I don't know about that one. (laughs) That may be how you're feeling right now, and guess what? That's okay, and let me explain why because the standard that God has in place is too much for you. You are not capable of living this life that Jesus has set for you to live. That is why the gospel is important, that Jesus came to live a life that we could not live. And so now we place our trust in Jesus so that we are able to do things that are beyond our capability. And so when Carl was able to pursue that friendship, that was not because Carl's a good kid. That was because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of him. And you need to trust in God's spirit to do supernatural things, which is to forgive people who've wronged you and pursue a relationship with them. Let me remind you that reconciliation takes two parties. Right? So that person does need to be repentant of their actions in order for that relationship to be reconciled. But forgiveness only requires one party. And so you still have the responsibility to forgive that individual. And if you're in a place where you said that if they came to you and they repented of their sins and they were interested in having a relationship with you and you were unwilling to have a relationship with that individual, I would be inclined to argue that you've not forgiven them. And you need to go back to the drawing board. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And our responsibility is to live that out. So this new identity that he gives us also has a new function, which Paul further articulates in verse 20 and 21. Take a look at it with me. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's our last point. Our new responsibility is to represent him to the world. Our new responsibility is to represent him to the world. Paul says, and he's claiming this in his, uh, to, to kind of solidify his apostolic authority, that we are ambassadors of Christ, that, that my identity was changed. I'm a new person, a new creature. And now, in light of me being this new individual, I am an ambassador for Jesus. That the kingdom that I am representing now is not a kingdom of myself, not a kingdom of my ethnicity, not a kingdom of my political party, not a kingdom of any tribe that I was subscribed to. My, uh, my kingdom now is the kingdom of God. And I am a representative on behalf of God's kingdom. That's what Paul is saying about his life. And their message is the message of reconciliation, that they're saying to others, be reconciled to God. That's their message. God wants you to repent of your sins so that you can be back in relationship with him so that he can repair and restore that broken relationship. Paul knows that he is a representative of God. See, this idea of ambassador, which is really a verb in the text, this idea of ambassador, it, it, it's in the same vein that we would think in our own, our own current government, in our new age, in this era of life. The, the idea of ambassador it does, hasn't, has not evolved much from the ancient world to today. Uh, one, one example of an ambassador uh, is, is Charles Francis Adams. He is the son of John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, and grandson of John Adams, the second president. And during the, several, uh, the Civil War, There were, obviously, you know, the Confederate Army was fighting against the Union. uh, uh, The the South did not want to be controlled by the Union. They wanted to own slaves, among other issues, economic issues that they had. Uh, And so these two factions in our own country are civil wars happening. And the Confederate Army sends representatives to get aid from Britain and France to help them in the war, which is not good for the Union. Right? They don't need another country coming to get involved in these affairs. Uh, and so uh, one ill-advised captain uh, commandeers a uh, British steamboat, and when he commandeers that, takes the Confederate uh, uh, representatives into, uh, into capture, and it's starting to create more friction between the U.S. and Britain. And so they take Charles Francis Adam on behalf of President Lincoln and the secretary at the time, and and, and as well as the nation, and they send this individual to Great Britain to have a conversation. He is going to represent the interests of America, of the United States, to Britain. And he he does an incredible job. He's able to broker a continued peace between the Union and Britain. And he explains to them that if you are to support the Confederate Army, what you're doing is declaring war against the United States. And he and Charles Francis Adams finessed this in such a way that he was able to even broker a 15.5 million dollar deal to replace the supplies they lost that only cost six million dollars because they had provided some uh, uh, resources already to the Confederate Army. So the, the the Union, I mean, the British never helped the Confederate Army. Ultimately, the Union wins the war, and here we are today. Adams was a representative to speak on behalf of the United States, to represent the interests of the United States, and he had a message from the United States. And in the very same, in this very same sense, you are a representative, you are an ambassador of God's kingdom, and God has called you to represent his interest, not your own. God has called you. To represent His kingdom well in your life and also in your message. And your message is very clear. That God wants relationship with those who are far from Him. And even though they're guilty of sin, this is what the Scripture tells us. That He made the one who did not know sin be sin for us. And so we... Were the ones who were sinners. But Christ came and took on the sins, took on our sins, so that we can be forgiven of our sins. So he became sin, even though Christ lived a perfect life, never knew sin, could not even fathom the idea of sinning, though he was tempted in every way, uh, uh, was able to triumph over every temptation, and never sinned a day in his life or even in his thoughts. This man, Jesus, Fully man, fully God, became sin for us. So that what? So that we can have a change of status. When it talks about the righteousness of God, that he became sin though he knew not sin, so that we may become the righteousness of God, Paul is talking about a status. A status that you were guilty, you were unrighteous, you were deserving of death, and God changed your status through the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ so that you can become God's righteousness. And what happens on a theological sense is that you become, your sins become wiped away by the work of Jesus Christ but then Jesus takes his righteousness and he imputes it into you. He takes his righteousness, he puts it into you so that when you stand before God, it is not your own righteousness because that's not good enough, but it's Jesus' righteousness. And so you, you have a new status before God. And this is beautiful. That God has called us to be representatives to him. And so my challenge to you as we conclude today and our worship team comes back, my challenge to you today is to recognize that you have a new identity in Christ. God has made you into a new creation. Your loyalty is no longer to whatever tribe that you have subscribed to prior to today or prior to you coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your loyalty is to a new kingdom. Your loyalty is to Jesus. You are an ambassador of Christ. And you must live it so. Knowing that your life and your speech is a reflection of your King. Now, You say, hey, Larissa, today, I, I mean, I walked in, I came because, you know, there's a new church in the area, wanted to check it out, but, but you would not subscribe to the idea of being a Christian. Or maybe you, you would say that, hey, I, I've always known about God growing up, but, but my identity was never rooted in him. It had never been changed. that when when you hear about this being reconciled to God and bringing peace in your relationship with God, you might say, Larry, I don't have that peace with God. I I still feel very much like that he's a foreign idea and concept to me. Well, today that can change. Today you can choose to be reconciled by God. Christ has already done the work for you. What is required on your part, the Bible says, that you must repent and believe. You must turn away from your sin and place your confidence in Jesus Christ. And if that's to you today, where you're saying that you want to place your confidence in Jesus, God is probably, knowing him, is already stirring in your heart. Every head bowed and eyes closed. God is already stirring in your heart. God is already speaking to you, and, and you feel this unction that you need to do something about what you've heard today. What needs to be done is you need to surrender your life to Jesus. And so, if that's you, and you're saying, Today is today, I recognize, I identify the reality that I'm a sinner. And I don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I want that today. I'm going to pray a prayer. And you are welcome to pray that prayer with me. And if that prayer resonates with you, if that prayer, the decision that you want to make today, the Bible says that you are saved because you've turned away from your sin and you place your trust in him, place your trust in the work that Jesus Christ has done to save you from your sin. And so I'm going to pray, and I pray that you'll pray this prayer with me if you're making that decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for making us into a new creature. And so we ask, Heavenly Father, that if there's a person in the room that they'll pray these words, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am in desperate need of you. I turn away from my sins and I place my trust in your son, Jesus Christ. And that today I want to live my life for you and you alone. So come into my life, Jesus. Become my Lord. Become my Savior. Be in control. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If that was you today, my sister Melanie would be...